invite you at this time to join me in turning into your pew Bibles to page 33, where we find our scripture reading for this morning, Genesis chapter 24, the first 27 verses. Genesis chapter 24, the first 27 verses. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I am living. But will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son, Isaac. The servant asked him, What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land, and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Naharayim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I am standing beside the spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please give me a jar, me a little little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said, and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, she added, We have plenty of straw and fodder, as well as room for you to spend the night. 
Then the man bowed down and worshipped the Lord, saying, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Back before um, COVID days, if you uh, worked in an office, you would have what they called water cooler talks. You know those uh, little things where they, came, they bring the jugs in and they turn the jug upside down and they put it on the water. The water cooler talks were basically an excuse to not be doing what you're supposed to be doing and go hang out with other people in the office and talk about what Sally did last weekend. What does water cooler talk have to do with uh, Genesis 24? Well, you'll find out later if you pay attention, okay? Here we are at Genesis chapter 24. And finally, we're told what we already all knew in verse 1. And I'm not really sure why it took so long for this to finally be said, but... I want you to know, it's not until now that we're told this. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years. Dude, Abraham, you were like 100 years old when you had your first kid, okay? But we're told the Lord had blessed him in every way. But we're still sort of hanging on the edge because we need to know if God's promises to Abraham are going to be be fulfilled. God has promised Abraham descendants. God has promised Abraham land. And what we have here at the end of days is Abraham owns a field and a cave in that field where he buried his wife. And Abraham owns a well. That's all he owns in the land of Canaan, even though he is so blessed. And at the end of all these years, all we know is that God miraculously blessed Abraham and Sarah with one child, Isaac. And now Isaac is probably in his 40s, and he's single. He has not married. And so Abraham is wondering who's going to be the matriarch to carry on this family line. Who's going to be the continuation of the Genesis 3.15 promise, the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman. And what we're going to find out in this first half of Genesis 24 is that God is faithful to the covenant by providing a godly wife for the seed. God is faithful to the covenant by providing a godly wife for the seed. What we see in the first nine verses is that there's a godly wife that's desired. Verses 10 through 14, a godly wife is sought. And verses 15 to 27, a godly wife is found. So let's look at the passage together. We're told here that um, at the end of his life, Abraham brings his chief servant in to him. Uh, Could this be Eleazar of Damascus, the one he said would inherit all that he had if um, uh, he didn't have his own descendant? Uh, Could be, but we're not told. And Abraham uh, makes his chief servant swear. 
Maybe he feels that he's at death's window, death's door. And he wants to make sure that if he passes on, that there is something that he desires that is accomplished, whether he's alive or dead. And that is this key promise. Abraham wants Isaac, his son, to have a wife that is not from the pagan Canaanite people around him that live in the land, um, but a wife uh, from his family. A wife from his family. Um, And you might be wondering, why is that the case? Is it because his family are worshipers of Yahweh? No, actually we're told that um, Abraham was called out of paganism. And uh, these are the people that stayed back in their uh, homeland. And so uh, it's very likely the case that whatever wife this servant finds for Abraham amongst Abraham's family is uh, not a worshiper of Yahweh either. So this is about uh, ethical purity. This is about keeping that promised messianic line more than it is about finding someone who is a worshiper of Yahweh. But we'll see here and uh, as we move along um, how, uh, Rebecca, I can put that title of godly on her as we continue on. Um, And this is a pattern that Abraham um, encourages for his later descendants not to intermarry with the Canaanites in the land, Uh, but to remain pure in their marriage covenants uh, by marrying in the Lord. Abraham wants his servant to go to his homeland and to get a wife for his son from there. Um, And the the, uh, put your hand under my thigh is an ancient Near Eastern way of swearing. It'd be like um, the way we do today, um, uh, pinky promise. Pinky promise. Or put your spit in each other's hands and shake on it, you know. Maybe we don't do that today. No, don't, don't do that today, you know, unless you right after that get some hand sanitizer. Um, but, but this is uh, Abraham's way of saying I'm very serious about this. I'm so serious about this that I'm, I'm tying this to my, um, to my um, uh, ability to procreate. My ability to carry on my heritage, my legacy. That's why the, the swearing happens by putting your hand under somebody's thigh. Okay, And then the servant asks a very um, good question. What if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Shall I then take you know, Isaac back and say, hey, you know... Um, Here's the guy I was talking about. I'm sure you were probably not very excited about leaving and coming all the way. This is the biggest blind date I have ever seen happen, you know. Um, So here he is. And uh, Abraham standing firm on the promises God has given to him, standing firm so much that we saw last Sunday that he, he, he purchased the promised land, a piece of the promised land. He purchased a piece of promised land that they could bury they're, they're, they're dead in, instead of going back to their homeland, Abraham says, make sure that you do not take my son back there. Abraham said, make sure you don't take my son back there. Why? His reasoning is because the Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and spoke to me and promised me an oath saying, to your offspring I will give this land. Only do not take my son back there. Why is Abraham saying this? I mean, 
Jacob's, uh, Isaac's son Jacob will in fact go back to that place to find his wife. Well, we find out that's not the most, um, the story without any, you know, bumps in the road, so to speak. Um, but we'll get there eventually. Um, but Abraham says, no, don't take my son back there. Why is Abraham saying that? Because he's saying, we're in the promised land here. This is where we belong. We are putting our flag in the ground here. We are saying, this is our land. And I don't want my son Isaac going back there and thinking or becoming tempted to realize, to say, maybe, you know, this place isn't so bad either. Right? And I think that is a, um, a good picture for us about the world that we live in. There are so many things in this world that we could go back to, so to speak. Just like the Israelites wanted to go back to Egypt, where they remember it was so nice and so wonderful. You know what? We were slaves, but at least we were fed slaves. At least we were um, um, slaves who had somewhere to live. At least we were slaves who weren't in danger in our lives all the time, as long as we did what we were told, you know. And sometimes... Even as Christians, we can have that same temptation. We can say, well, you know, I was miserable, but there were some nice things about living in the world. There were some nice things about indulging myself in my sinful nature. There were some nice things about that. And we can reminisce about the old days and the fun that we used to have and the enjoyment that we had hanging out with friends and doing things that were dishonoring to the Lord. And, and we can, you know, think maybe it would be nice if we went back there and hung out for a little bit. And what Abraham is saying is that's a trap. The trap is to think that you can go back to Egypt and not come away unscathed. Not come away enslaved again in some fashion. Christ says when you become a member of his household and a citizen of the kingdom of God, it's like setting yourself to the plow. And you're going forward and you don't look back. You don't look back. So Abraham gives his servant a promise. He gives him a promise that God would send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. And he says to the servant, if the woman is unwilling to come back, then you're released from this oath of mine. You're released from it. You don't have to have any qualms with uh, it's not doing this. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master Abraham, and he swore an oath to him concerning this matter. A godly wife is desired for the covenant to continue. The seed of the woman to replace Sarah, who's passed on, who can give birth to another seed that would continue the line of the Messiah. And God is faithful to the covenant by providing a godly wife for the seed. And as we see in verses 10 through 14, um, God is a providential God. He's a caring God. 
Sometimes when I read this passage and others like it, I think of uh, Fiddler on the Roof, matchmaker, matchmaker. And sometimes we talk about um, being soulmates. I'm not sure how biblical that is, you know? And, and not really that Genesis 24 is about some sort of uh, a program in order to figure out how, you, you know, we, we find someone to marry. Because, <laughs> I'm sorry, these days you usually don't send your servant across the desert with camels and a lot of gold. And then as soon as you find a nice lady you like, stick a nose ring on her. And say, you're coming with me. That's not really how it happens nowadays. But what we can grasp from this is that in concerns to the covenant... If we can trust that God can providentially arrange this whole scenario where a seed of the woman, the matriarch, Sarah is dead, and a new matriarch, Rebecca, is provided, that we can trust that God would accomplish this in order to bring about our salvation ultimately in the fruition of God's promise to Abraham to, to have a seed. And through that seed, the nations will be blessed. Then we can trust that whatever is going to happen in our lives for our good, for our salvation, we can trust the providence of God. You see what I'm saying? Including how the Lord leads us to our spouses, if that is what he has for us in our lives. So a godly wife is desired, a godly wife sought. We read, continuing on. The servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He is showing to whoever he comes in contact with from Abraham's family that the Lord truly has blessed Abraham. That the Lord really has made him abundantly successful. And Abraham even was told by the, um, um, the Hittites in the last chapter that he is a prince among Right? And he travels to the hometown of Nahor, Abraham's brother. And he has the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. And it was toward evening, the time when the women go out to draw water. Now I asked you, what, are, what does the water cooler have to do with um, Genesis 24? Well, the water cooler would be like our modern day gathering place, the well of the office. It's not only where the women come to draw the water, but it's where the women come to talk and to chat. The well where the women come to draw water is a gathering place. Maybe a water cooler talk is not a good example for that now. Maybe we would even sort of digitize it today and say places like Facebook where you can send comments to each other. Poor substitute, in my opinion, because a lot of times the only way you can tell um, if people are angry on Facebook is if they're typing in all caps. Or it's just your grandma who has caps lock on and she forgot. But this is where Abraham's servant comes. Because He's wise. He knows 
this is when the women come out. This is how I'm going to encounter a woman that could possibly be what the Lord is providing for my, uh, uh, for my boss, for my, um, for my uh, Lord, Abraham, and his son Isaac. Without encountering the family, or the brothers, or the father. And so, he goes to the water cooler. And he prays. He prays and he says, Oh Lord God, Master, my Master Abraham, God of my Master Abraham, give me success today. Show kindness to my Master Abraham. I'm standing beside this spring and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. And may it be that when I say to a girl, please let me let down your jar that I may have a drink. And she says, drink and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you've chosen for your servant Isaac. By this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. He's, um, he's presenting to God a test. It's a yes-no test, right? Um, it's, it's very similar to the, what, what Gideon does. God, if this is really what you want me to do, may all the, uh, the fleece be wet and the ground around it dry. Okay, well, I just want to be doubly sure, God, if this really, really is what you want me to do, may all the ground be wet and the fleece be dry, okay? Um, is this really how we're supposed to uh, inter interact with God? Um, is this how you're supposed to go to your, um, your son uh, who's single and approaching marriageable age and say, this is what I want you to do. I want you to go somewhere public and I want you to pray to the Lord and create some scenario. Lord, next woman that walks up to me and asks me how my day is going, may that be who you provided for me as wife. Creepy. No, 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 that's... This is not necessarily how... We function in, in, in the way that we, we ask the Lord um, to work in our lives. Uh, in fact, some of the things that we should notice that I think is very important about this um, is if you look at the book of Acts. Um, if you look at the book of Acts prior to the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, the disciples think it's very important that they replace um, Judas Iscariot. And the way that they replace Judas Iscariot um, is by uh, drawing lots. And the way that they would perceive what it is God's will um, was simply by chance. And now we know the book of Proverbs says, you know, the, uh, the roll of the dice is in the hands of the Lord. Lots are in the hands of the Lord. It's all in God's control. But interestingly, too, if you notice that after the Holy Spirit is poured out, that is not the way the rest of scriptures describe the way we are to pursue um, God's will or to know what it is God's will is for us. After we have the Bible, that is not how we're to figure out what God's will is for us, you know. Um, sometimes we can do this too. Um, I don't know if uh, any of you have ever done this. Lord, give me a word. And you just sort of open the Bible, you know. Not saying God can't use that, 
but that is a lot like the Urim and the Thummim, a lot like the casting of the lots that our servant here is using right now. He's testing the Lord to see if the Lord really has sent his angel ahead of him, as Abraham said, really has been providentially ordering these things. And um, it works here, but it's not a model for us. Does that make sense? That's the way. That's the thing I'm trying to get across. If we desire to know God's will for our lives, if we desire to know what it is that God wants us to do, who it is that God wants us to marry, we don't look in a phone book. We don't search him on Facebook. We go to God's Word. And God doesn't mysteriously have a name written in here. If you take the first verse of every book of the minor prophets and you put the first letter together and, and numeral, numerologically come up with a name that's supposed to be your wife's name or your husband's name or anything like that, God reveals himself to us. He describes for us what a godly spouse should be like. He gives us wisdom, the ability to discern, and then through this Holy Spirit, he leads us into that life, the life he's called us to. But this is what the servant does. He says, this woman, she is going to uh, say, yes, I'll give you a drink. But she's going to go above and beyond that. She's going to say, I'll water your camels also. Now, the reason why I said this expresses to me that this uh, woman is of a, uh, a character that this man is trying to pursue. He's not only seeking to see if the Lord is at work. He's also seeking for his servant, or his Lord Abraham and his, serp, his uh, Lord Isaac a woman of, of character. She, he wants to see if she is a servant. He wants to see if she is willing to um, um, care for. She's um, uh, a hard worker. Right? She is hospitable. He wants to see if she can be someone who makes a house into a home. That's what he's looking for. And we see that God is at providentially at work. Because in verse 15, it tells us, the narrator tells us, before he had even finished praying, here comes Rebecca. And you hear this narrative tension because we, as the readers, are told who Rebecca is. She is of Abraham's family. She is a descendant of Abraham's brother, Nahor. And we're told that she's very beautiful, that she's not been with anyone, so that we would be confident that Isaac's children are of his descent. The seed of the woman, continuing on into the line of the Messiah. And she went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. So the servant hurries to meet her. And he does. He, asks, he plays out this scenario. He says, please, give me a little water from your jar. She says, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. And after she had given him a drink, she said, listen, I'll draw water for your camels too. Remember, he said, he, we were told, he brought ten camels. Ten of his master's camels. Now, through a long journey through the desert, 
Camels can hold lots of water, and they can go a long time without water. It could have been possible that this woman had to draw gallons and gallons and gallons of water in order for his camels to be completely um, watered. And so this is not some sort of small feat that um, Rebecca is volunteering herself for. This is one that expresses her desire to be hospitable, her desire to be welcoming to a stranger who's come into this town, her desire to express that she can be a matriarch and be someone who is um, a capable of running a household, capable of doing these things. So she quickly em- empties her jar, she draws more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Now, verse 21, here we see that the godly wife is found. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. Now, when I read verse 21, I'm thinking to myself, if I were Rebecca, I'd be a little creeped out at this point. <laughs> I mean, here she is drawing water for his camels, and he's just like, not saying a word. Just, you know, staring at her. probably got to be thinking, okay, um, awkward. But when all the camels had finished drinking, we're told that the man took out a gold nose ring, two gold bracelets. Now, he did not go up to her and stab this nose ring in her ear and shove the bracelets on her wrists, okay? What he's doing is, in preparation for hearing what family she's from, He's offering these as gifts, okay? And so he gets these out in preparation, anticipating that the Lord has been providentially uh, ordering his steps, providentially bringing these things about. And of all the women in this whole town, of all the women in this whole town, the one that he comes into contact with, the one that he interacts with, the first one that he sees after he's done praying his prayer, he asks her, Is there room in your father's house? Can I spend the night? And she answers, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. I am of the father, I am of the family of Abraham. And she added, Come, you're welcome. We have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. What is the response, the proper response? When you, in a moment, recognize and realize that God has been ordering your steps, that God has brought what you needed into your life, that God has made it so that you would come to salvation in Jesus Christ, that God has ordered your steps so that you would become what God had wanted you to become, where you lived, where God wanted you to live, where you married who God wanted you to marry, where you had the children that God wanted you to have, where God was providentially ordering your steps. And in a moment, a rush, you recognize it and you realize it, that all my steps have been ordered by God for his glory and for my good. What is the proper response to that? Well, the servant of Abraham expresses that proper response. Because the moment that he hears that God's angel has gone before him, that God has providentially 
express his faithfulness to the covenant by providing a godly wife for the seed of Abraham. He says, Praise be to the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness. The word there is hesed, it's covenant faithfulness, to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. A godly wife is found. God's providence has brought him to this moment. God's providence has made it so that the desire of his master, Abraham, by finding a wife for Isaac, the journey that brought him to that very moment, and that moment where he is told, he realizes that this is the woman that God has provided for my master, Abraham, and his son, Isaac. This, the only proper response, is praise. It's, it's, it's praising God. God, you have been faithful to me. You've been faithful. You have shown your faithfulness. And that's why I want to... Um, I want to end with this neat little nugget that I will leave with you. There is multiple stories in the Bible about meeting women at the well. We see one here. Abraham's servant meets Rebecca. We'll see, not too long from now, that Jacob will come to this very same place And this is where he will meet his wife, Rachel. And it's interesting to read that that understanding that oftentimes matchmaker, matchmaker happens at the well, that Jesus' disciples behave the way that they behave when they return after trying to find some food to Jacob's well to see that Jesus is there speaking to a woman. And what does Jesus ask this woman? May I have a drink? Just as Abraham's servant asked. And in his conversation with the woman at the well, he says, there is water that you can drink that you'll never thirst again. And she says, let me draw that water. And he says, I am that water. Go get me your husband. She says, I have no husband. He says, you're right. The man you're living with now is not your husband, and you've had husbands before. And what Jesus is saying in this whole encounter that we often overlook is that he, he is that seed of the woman, the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, all the way down to Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and his, he's seeking a bride, a godly wife. But he understands that in order for his wife to be godly, he must cleanse her. 
And so he tells this woman at the well, who is for us an image of the church, I have come to live, to die, to rise again, so that you can be washed and dressed on your wedding day in white linen, cleansed and purified by my sacrifice and the gift of my perfect righteousness. And God is faithful to the covenant by providing a husband for us in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he has. He has given us, the bride of Christ, the church and body of Christ, to Jesus. Washed, cleansed, sanctified and purified. And that's why we hear in the book of Revelation, the invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but I am glad that Jesus came to the water cooler. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to the covenant. Thank you for your faithfulness to us who do not deserve it, but saving us. Thank you for making us into the bride of Christ, washing us by your word, cleansing us and purifying us. May we, on the day that Christ returns, be a godly wife, cleansed and purified, dressed in white for our groom, Jesus Christ. And may we spend all eternity the wedding supper of the Lamb, perfect union and communion with him and with you, feasting and celebrating the salvation that you have accomplished in the new heavens and the new earth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.